This is Gray Man Media Content. October 28, 1943. An airy green-blue glow from the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard shocks eyewitnesses. The USS Eldridge had disappeared. The ship was then seen in the Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Virginia before disappearing again and then reappearing back in Philadelphia. Today, Wolf takes a bite out of it. The Philadelphia Experiment. Climbed into the hills. I, I would, I'm romantic. I would like Bigfoot to exist. FBI, open up! One type is about three feet tall, very dark, not humanoid at all, yet lizard looking. The creatures that I have seen mostly have been the, the greys. To the search for truth, little grey men, little grey men from outer space who actually abduct humans. Remember? Huh? We're already in. Welcome to another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite Podcast. I am your host, John Wolf, with my co-host, Devin Bray. Today, we are talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. Let's take a bite. What's up? Oh, you know, I'm just here on set. Doing another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite. We're on set because we're professional. Doing another episode. Talking about boats. I was going to say, you literally just reiterated what I just said. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Hello? <laughs> I'm in your ears, bro. Yes. It is a, there's sound in there. It's, it's right there in the back of my head. I thought it was my conscience. Anyway. What are we talking about today? I don't know. I don't know why I sound. Oh, that's better. Okay. <clears throat> Today we're talking that's about. That's all staying in. <laughs> Today we're talking about the Philadelphia experiment. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Where's your squeezy ball, man? I need it. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Devin needs a stress ball. Can we get somebody on set for a stress ball? Thank you. Anyway, today we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah, this is going to be a wild one. <laughs> um, yeah, because today we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. Oh, okay. How many times are we going to retake that? Let's just start over. It's time, man. I'm manipulating time. We're just doing it over and over and over no, again because this gotta... is what this whole thing's about. Welcome back to another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite. That's John Wolf. I'm Devin Gray. And it's another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite. And we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. <laughs> All right, hold up. Not the cream cheese. <laughs> not the cream. <laughs> God, not the cream cheese. <laughs> hold on. Dude, you got to get through those, man. It's my last one. Thank God. Did you just pull another one out? <laughs> no. I feel weird sitting here. I'm not going to lie. It's throwing him off. It's throwing me way off, man. I'm not going to lie to you at all. But I feel confident. I'm taking your direction. I feel good about the way that we're handling it. That's what directors do. I right. hope. Uh, sure. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying uh, the new whatever we're doing now. Um, so welcome to the episode. <clears throat> yeah. <I> <laughs> Grab your chips. Please don't. And hang out. You can. 
but you cannot. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, what are we talking about today, John? So this all starts with a government project known as Project Rainbow. Project Rainbow. Has nothing to do with unicorns, so calm your tits. I was, my tits were very excited. I know. I could see them poking out of the gray man shirt. It was going nuts. They were. They were moving on their own. Yeah. <laughs> so Project Rainbow is allegedly an experiment conducted upon a small destroyer escort ship during World War II. Both in Philadelphia Navy, both in the Philadelphia Navy Yard and at sea. The goal was to make the ship invisible to enemy detection, cloaking technology, which we have now. Whoa. Don't let them lie to you. Wait, did we have it back then or we have it now? We've what had it saying? since then. Oh, shit. They were developing it then. Oh, shit. Okay. So imagine what we got now. Probably some crazy shit. Yeah. I remember 10 years ago, I saw this thing where it was like a uh, jacket. Or a shield or something that they were holding up. I know what you're talking about. Warps the light around them yeah, and then yeah. they make the soldier invisible. Insanity. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's some wild stuff, man. But could you imagine doing that with an entire battleship? Yeah, in I the, mean, it just had to be a really big mirror. You in know? the you want really knock it out. Of yeah, I'll do it again for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Really, <sighs> sorry, my back is killing. Devin, me use today. my camera angle. Great, that was good stuff over there, huh? Uh, Oh, my back. Don't worry. We're using my camera angle. All this heavy lifting Don't I'm doing contact. over on this team. Just keep looking at me. <laughs> Don't worry about what he's doing over my there. My back really hurts because I'm right constantly here. carrying right this here. team. Right here. <laughs> right here. So the accounts of... <laughs> <laughs> what is this? So the accounts... Are we doing an episode? Yeah. All right. The accounts vary as to whether the original idea was to achieve invisibility to enemy radar or... Radar. 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 Next to Mordor. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. Or whether the prize sought after was more profound than that. Optical invisibility. Now, either way, it is commonly believed that the mechanism involved was the generation of an incredibly intense magnetic field around the ship, which would cause a refraction or bending of light... Or radar waves around the ship. Much like the mirage created when heated air is like over asphalt. You see how waves and changes. Oh, like yeah. when it's like yeah. fucking hot outside? Mm-hmm. Okay. Similar to that. Okay, I got you, I got you. The legend goes on to say that the experiment was a complete success, actually. Except the ship actually disappeared physically for a time. Maybe out of time? And then returned. They wanted to cloak the ship... <laughs> from view, but they uh, got dematerialized and teleported instead. So they did teleportation in World War II. Oh, God. I'm sure Hitler was really involved. Why? Why are you saying the things that you say? I don't understand. It has been claimed that the Philadelphia experiment was partially an investigation into how Albert Einstein's unified field theory of gravitation and electricity, uh, yes. or the UTF theory. E equals MC squared. No. Not that that's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theory of relativity, blah, blah, blah. Science works. Yeah, I got it. No, unified gravitation and electron yeah. theory. Mm-hmm. Different Black than holes. E, different than uh, the quasar. Okay, shut up. <laughs> anyway, the UFT might be used as an advantage in development of electronic camouflage for ships at sea. This research was aimed at using intense electromagnetic fields to mask a ship from incoming projectiles and mainly torpedoes. 
This was later extended to include a study that created radar invisibility by a similar field in the air rather than the water. So the whole idea behind it was 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 actual like visual camouflage or was it mo- Yes, visual camouflage. <laughs> this is how today's going to go. I don't know, John. What are we doing today? We're talking about the Philadelphia experiment. Great. <laughs> no, go ahead. So, yeah, uh, let me re- reiterate that last part so you can make your comment. Oh, great. So, so the banter that I was trying to go for, you fuck. <laughs> This table flew. I would laugh so hard. The f- the table flying. Yeah. Oh, because of me, or because? Oh, okay, I thought you meant like because of maybe some Philadelphia experiment type shit. No. Okay. Yeah, that'd be funny if I just flipped the <laughs> whole table. Yeah, fuck everything. We're Podcast doing right over. <laughs> <laughs> so, how does that make you feel? So they're so they're trying to develop some camouflage uh, for for physically, and then later that became radar. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So and they're using some kind of Albert Einstein E equals MC squared stuff. Unified magnetic field theory. That's the one. Um, and somehow that's going to to make the boat disappear. Yeah. So Einstein's original theory is specifically on this. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's not a bullshit meter moment. No, no, not at all. Not. Keep it going. So his theory about this, and you better fact check before you start throwing meters around, sir. Oh, I'm going to. F- don't worry about the fact checking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the main thing is this is actually. Do I check the 30 second page of Google or do I just this check This is actually the a very one? sound theory. Um, it hasn't been From proven, him? as far as we know, we, it hasn't been proven yet. Yes. So his theory is that basically a distort, like we were talking about the heat waves, uh huh, distorting your vision. Mm. Theoretically, you can distort matter using high intensity magnific- magnets to warp the air molecules and everything else around you that bends light. Because we all know magnetic fields makes an impact on light. We see it when, uh, with uh, black holes, for instance, um, they have an intense amount of gravitational fields around them, right? That's why light gets sucked or What does that have around. to do with magnetism? With high-intensity magnet- magnets, you can actually alter gravitational fields. Okay. Well, I'm trying to wrap my head around it like they're trying to wrap the w- light waves around this boat here to make it disappear. And that's the similar basic principle of it, mm. is that if you take all of this, uh, say if you can create a big enough magnetic field, you can t- essentially create another, uh, a different distortion in the gravitational field mm. because you're distorting the poles, the polars of that area. Well, so when I was doing the research for this part of the episode... Um, and me and you had kind of talked behind the scenes and we won't get too far into it. Cause I'm sure, you know, in the audio only version of this uh, podcast, you'll probably get into it, but there was a, there's a lot of government conspiracies surrounding this entire project in general. Mm-hmm. Project rainbow was like the tip of the iceberg for this, this entire thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, you go down a rabbit hole when you start researching this stuff and it's beyond crazy. So, I mean, 
I mean, it makes total sense to me so far. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten into it. Let's get into some meat and potatoes real quick. So, essentially, the story begins on June 1943. The USS Eldridge being fitted with tons of experimental electronic equipment. And this included, according to one source, two massive generators mounted where the forward gun turrets would have been, disrupting their power through a magnetic coil mounted on the deck itself. Three RF transmitters, 3,000 6L6 power amplified tubes, uh, special synchronization or synchronizing and modulating circuits, and a host of other specialized hardware that were employed to generate massive electromagnetic fields. So that's, okay, so they were using a, a bunch of technology stuff was put onto the deck of this, was it a cruiser? It was a destroyer. Destroyer. Destroyer cruiser. Some big ship. Some big. Decently sized. It's not the biggest. Yeah, it's not like a battleship or like right, an right. aircraft carrier, but it's a big old. A rather flighty ship, if, if I might say so myself. Usually, they're pretty quick for their ship for their class. <laughs> for their class, yeah. Okay, for the class. But then they add a bunch of stuff that has nothing to really do with, like, I guess, firepower, which I assume is what they would normally pack onto this boat. Well, yeah, they replaced the forward gun turns with uh, ginormous generators. Yeah. Yeah, and all in the hopes to create some kind of electromagnetic field, which is bizarre beyond belief. 1.21 gigawatts. Whoa. That's what's needed to travel through time. We all know that. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that's what happened to the ship. So basically... Holy shit. <laughs> but basically, when properly, confi properly configured, we would, uh, we would be able to bend light and radio waves around the ship, thus making it invisible to any, any observers. The experiment said to have taken place at the Philadelphia Naval Yard and also at sea, several testings, I'm assuming, took place on at least one occasion while in full view of a merchant marine ship and other observation ships. The merchant ship becomes significant in this story because one of its crewmen is the source from the mo of the most original material based on this subject. So he's like the main guy. He is the main witness. A witness. A key eyewitness. Yes. Oh, he was he was one of the guys that was on the boat watching. On a on a merchant ship watching them do right not on the actual right. i'm just trying to set the stage here i'm yeah. trying to make sure i understand what's going on so basically boat over there boat over there this boat's watching that boat this dude's heading here having a cigarette and he's like oh shit that boat popped out yeah he's like chilling on the water he's like yeah that boat just popped off bro. doing like some fishing or something merchant yeah ship. he's well what else are they doing they're not selling shit out there they're, they're shipping <laughs> Like, oh, okay. Yeah, ah, I transportation got it. I got of goods. Possibly. We don't know what he's actually doing, right? He's probably a Somalian pirate. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so Carl Allen wrote a series. <laughs> Off the coast of Philadelphia. What the fuck? You never know? <laughs> no, I guess you don't. Carl Allen wrote a series of strange letters to one Dr. Morris K. Jessup in 1950s, in which he described what he claims to have witnessed at least one of the several phases of the Philadelphia experiment. <clears throat> so he's not a Somalian pirate. Yeah, with a name like Carl, that doesn't... <laughs> Could be a code name. What does Carl stand for? Carlito. Whoa. That's not even Somalian. Nope. What's Somalian? Uh, you got me. Let's not go there. Yeah, let's not. 
At 900 hours on July 22nd, 1943, the power out to the generators was turned on. And the massive electromagnetic field started to build up. A greenish fog was seen slowly enveloping the ship, concealing it from view. The fog itself is said to have disappeared, taking the Eldridge with it, with it, leaving only undisturbed water where the ship had been anchored only moments before. So, okay, so what time was it? Oh, 900 hours. Oh, 900 hours, so 9 a.m. Yep. And these magnets that are supposed to create a field to make it disappear creates green fog? Well, I mean, if you're traveling through time... And space. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's surely to be some side effects. Mm-hmm. So what I am thinking is that the giant amount of, and theoretically, if this happened, which it probably did. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> if this was to theoretically happen, you create a massive magnetic field that altered the central localized gravity in that space, right? Okay. You're, you're, you're distorting gravitons and everything, right? Gravitons, so, yes, of course. Gravitons. We already learned about that. <laughs> you're distorting the gravitons, right? Uh-huh. And then you basically, you're, you're in water, too. So that, that's other that, atoms. That is a fact. That is other <laughs> atoms that could react differently. So maybe it supercharged the molecules in the water, creating a green fog. Right, and these would have had to have been massive, massive machines because we're talking about what with the water. I mean, they need a, sh- a giant ship to be able to support the it. The boat, the water, the fog. I mean, you're talking about at least six atoms. What? <laughs> and the gravitons, of course. Well, the story gets dark. You'll see. Oh God. So basically, let's just. Theory, put that into a theory point. If that was the case, there could be a side effect where the water uh, turned into a mist. And because of the uh, light waves being altered and bending, made it glow, therefore possibly giving it a greenish glow. So Carl's Carl's just chilling, 9 a.m. on this boat. And here comes the USS Eldridge. And all of a sudden, green fog, boom. Whole shit gone. Mm-hmm. No, no waves, nothing. The the water's just calm as if the boat was never there. Imagine being Carl. Smoking that wacky tobacco. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be like, whoa, did the CIA get a hold of me? Maybe. Am I part of MK Ultra? Maybe. <laughs> At that point, you gotta start thinking about that. So, the elite officers of the Navy and scientists involved gazed in awe. At their greatest achievement, the ship and crew were not only not on radar, but they were also invisible to the eye as well. Everything worked as well as planned. About 15 minutes later, they ordered the men to shut down the generators, and the greenish fog slowly reappeared, and the Eldridge began to dematerialize as the fog subsided. I think it means rematerialize. Probably. And it was evident to all that had something had gone wrong. Okay, so wait a minute. Maybe not. So everything disappeared, right? It worked. It was working. It was holding stable. And according to this report here, the greenish fog slowly reappeared, and then then, the Eldridge started to dematerialize as the fog subsided. So instead of just reappearing... It, so it, 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 they shut it down. Everything was powering down, but then there was an influx apparently in power, right? So their experiment worked. But mm-hmm. the side effect of it is during its shutdown phase, 
the ship itself started dematerializing. Becoming unstable in its in, molecular okay. structure. Weird. <clears throat> in the end, the Navy decided that they only wanted radar invisibility. And then the equipment was then swiftly altered. So they had they had an idea something was up. Because they're like, no, nah, I mean, we shouldn't do the physical thing. We just need to do radar thing. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think of why why these events happened the way that they did, right? Because, I mean, surely if they, if they were going to be able to physically camouflage something, they must have known that it would have had an effect on the crew. The boat can't feel anything, but the, but there's people being around this, a lot of electromagnetic, you know, field and power, I guess. And then, I mean, obviously that would have had some kind of effect on them, but then for the, I just don't see the military being like, oh, a couple guys got sick. Yeah, let's just scrap that whole project and go for just this radar part of yeah, the... Yeah, I don't see it, that either. That's weird. Something has been weird. So Something's then, gone awry. Well, then we get to the final date, the 28th of October, 1943. This is, yeah, this is when it actually... <clears throat> this is when shit went down. The final test on the Eldridge was performed. The electromagnetic field generators were turned on again, and the Eldridge became near invisible. Only a faint outline of the hull remained visible in the water. That's pretty fucking cool. I'm sure that would have been a sight. <sighs> a sight, to say the least. <laughs> well, or maybe not a sight. Well, yeah. Yeah. The lack thereof. Everything was fine for the first few seconds, and then, in a blinding blue flash, the ship completely vanished. Within seconds, it reappeared miles away in Norfolk, Virginia, and was seen for several minutes. The Eldridge then disappeared from Norfolk, and mysteriously it had arrived and reappeared back at the Philadelphia Naval Yard. Fuck. And saying Philadelphia Naval Yard with a tongue ring is difficult. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess when I was writing the script, I didn't really think that one through, boss. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this time, most of the sailors were violently sick. Some of the crew were simply missing, never to return. Oh, great! Some went crazy, but the strangest of all were that five men were fused into the metal hull of the ship, where some of them, according to other reports in black documents and a lot of redactions. Some of their arms and stuff like that had actually fused into the metal where, like, the skin, bones, and everything else turned metal, and they became, like, a part of the ship, like, almost Han Solo-looking. Well, and then the other half of them were, like, cut off at the waist, stuck in between two different rooms or in between walls and doors. So it reminds me of um, Pirates of the Caribbean when, um, when, when one of the characters is, like, part of the ship. What are you talking about when they're on the uh, David Jones's ship? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's that one? The Flying Dutchman. Yeah, but this is honestly more horrifying. Well, yeah, it's metal and, like, potentially real. Potentially. <laughs> so, hold on. Let's let's pause for effect here because... So, you have, you have the first test where this entire ship is camouflaged physically and via radar. Green fog disappears. Crew sick. You got a second one where, as far as we can tell, at least from the documents that we found and the research that we've done, none of the equipment was changed, 
But now all of a sudden, not only is it disappearing physically and via radar, it's also teleporting. Now, on the second one, they did change the equipment from the first test. Oh, they did. They altered it to only do radar uh Cloaking, well, that can't be true because, because now, it did more. Yeah, it did way more than even the first test. Yeah. Because now it's teleported and or time traveled. I mean, honestly, what's the difference at this point? You, you're going from Philadelphia to Norfolk, Virginia, miles away in, in minutes, and a ship that size would take hours at least, right? I don't. I don't really know. I don't know anything about ships. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they usually stick to the water for sure. To get there. Yeah, they usually <laughs> they just pick up and fly over there. And then it just p- appears there for a few minutes and then pops back up in Philadelphia. Also, there has to be some tie there because even in the theory of teleportation, in that world of science fiction, there is n- always have to be an anchor for your location and destination. What would the odds be that the ship appears in the water of a naval yard? A different one. At random, not. But when you when you put it that way, and you're like, well, they would have had to have a destination. Mm-hmm. It's clear that they would have decided to go there, right? right? Unless that makes sense, yeah. Like a movie I saw about this, it appeared about the Philadelphia the middle, experiment. Yeah, there's several different ones. Oh shit! Okay, there's they're old. A lot of them are very B-roll kind of movies, but they're still good. Cool. But uh, one of them showed not only that the ship appeared in Norfolk Naval Yard, but it appeared on a runway for aircraft. What left damage there too? Like the whole ship, boom, just right there, destroyed the runway. Was there for a few minutes, and then one of the sailors, very confused. Um, by the way, in present time, not in nineteen forty-two, uh, walked off the ship, and then started to dematerialize again later on in front of people down in town. What did they do? Is the and the USS Elders wasn't like decommissioned or anything like that, right? Not that I know about. What did they do with the people who was like fused with the hull? I mean, they just cut them out, stick them the in Area Fifty One. In Area Fifty One, <laughs> bro, Area Fifty One. Yeah, I know. We haven't done that one. Yet. I know. Season five, season four, <laughs> maybe Caesar. Whoa, yeah, that's crazy. It just pops up from it. You, you go from oh. Well, we won't do that again because I guess a couple sailors got sick. So let's just stop this cutting edge technology. No, and then they're like, "Yeah, let's they just do out radar." Different crews, a different two. Yeah, they and then they're like, "Oh, we're just gonna do radar teleportation, <laughs> possibly time travel, possibly time travel." One and the same, honestly, as far as this story is concerned. Because what is tell you, you can't teleport without going through time and space anyway. So you're gonna be going through. That's what I'm saying. In the context of this story, the there's really no atom. difference. The eye of an atom, the eye of the hurricane. Yeah, I don't know. That's fucking. Weird. Mm. What else you got? <laughs> a little bit to finish us out here. All right. The story of the Philadelphia experiment originated in late 1955 when Carl M. Allen, the anonymous package marked, or sorry, sent an anonymous package marked Happy Easter, containing a copy of Morris K. Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects to the U.S. Naval Research Center. The book was filled with handwritten notes in its margins, written with three different shades of blue ink, appearing to detail and a debate among three individuals only uh, only for the purpose of... Porpoise. Porpoise. I was, yeah. Only for the purpose of proving the propulsion of flying saucers. 
discuss alien races and express concern that Jessup was too close to discovering their technology. Also, nice. the commenters referred to each of their uh, each other as gypsies, apparently. Whoa. And discussed two different types of people living in outer space. Oh, God. Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization, punctuation, and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumption in the book. I'm guessing by this point, you're trying to tell me, Devin, oh, no. that they're crazy. Oh, and this no. story was just made up in 1955 by somebody who read a book, wrote a book, and wanted to be in a book. Yes. You're wrong. <laughs> Find out exactly why I think so on the full ed- edition of this episode on the podcast version. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Thanks for listening. You Do you believe? So now we're on the regular podcast. Uh, can, <laughs> for the for the non-muggles? For the is non-muggles, that what we, we said? We can take off our human suits. Oh God! And Devin is a guinea pig, by the way. That's that's uh that is canon. I'm a wolf in human's clothing. Whoa! <laughs> Instead of a sheep and yeah. Whoa! Yeah. A wolf in sheep's clothing. What is the saying? It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Is it okay? Yeah, but I'm a wolf in human's clothing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Rar. Grr. I'm a dinosaur. Arf. From Jurassic's Park. Jurassic's. Jurassic's. This is a thing. Anyway. So as promised, the crazy can now begin. Yes. Oh boy, am I looking forward to crazy. Cool. <laughs> cool. Uh-huh. At the Naval Yard. Jesus. At the Navy Yard, personnel were stationed on a non-commissioned ship, the USS Eldridge, which was 95% complete. Cables from a power plant on shore transmitted aboard. You have a question? I do, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm just confused by what is, what's non-commissioned ship? What does that mean? It means it's not commissioned as an active duty ship. Okay, I understand. Got it. Thank you. It's built in perpetuity probably to be used as one, but then it got transferred over to the science division. Or maybe it was... It, it had already done its service, and they had already replaced Potentially. it. Potentially. Okay. Decommissioned. Would, yeah. that, that would be decommissioned. Well, it wasn't, this was never commissioned, non-commissioned. Well, it, yeah, it wasn't decommissioned. It was just... Never commissioned. Weird. It was built, but never used for military purposes. Even though they had guns and shit on it. Well, it had spots for it. This was after World War II, right? It's basically like saying, hey, I'm going to go buy a Mercedes, but I'm going to drop a different engine in there. And everything else is different in there, but I'm using the body of that Mercedes. They all uh, swapped it? Yeah. Great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. I, so, I can wrap my head around that. Yeah. So at the Navy Yard, personnel were stationed on a non-commissioned ship, the USS Eldridge, which was 95% complete. Cables from a power plant on shore, an entire power plant. Oh, it was 95% complete. complete. So it was, just wasn't built yet. It wasn't it, done. It was built. It just wasn't. The other 5% wasn't military armaments. It hadn't been commissioned yet because it hadn't been completed. Yeah, it was not outfitted with military armaments. It was just a ship Okay. in the form of a militarized ship. Yes. Okay, I understand now. Anyway, 
Cables from the power plant onshore transmitted a broad, a, a broad band of low-frequency energy, which made the ship disappear from the radar scope. Now, that's interesting. What do you mean? That my notes are saying that this is transmission of low band frequency energy, transmission of energy from a power plant, not on board of the ship. Separate power plant, not like the generators that were discussed in the previous notes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Someone came up with using a ship as a massive antenna and energizing the ship with low frequency waves, using it that using that to transmit a tremendous pulse that would either blow out the radar or confuse it. And it worked. It actually worked beautifully. As we discussed, it worked in the first couple tests. Um, And uh, somebody named Moore said that the idea proved impractical because of the power required and its effect on the sailors. The project was apparently dropped because of the Germans and the Germans didn't develop a radar-guided torpedo in World War II as we were near the end of World War II. So they decided to kind of scrap it. The the radar part? Yeah. Why why have radar disgu- uh, dis- you know, disguise if we're the only ones with radar? Well, I mean, it, this would have been during the Cold War because directly out, following World War II, Cold War, the Cold War started... And the USSR almost certainly had radar technology. But World War II was already at an, near an end, and they probably didn't want to fund out any more funds. But the, okay. It was like a research project that was developed during the war, and they didn't need it because the war was ending. Right, but due to the Cold War, which happened directly after World yeah, War we didn't, II. They didn't know that was going to happen, though. What year was this? World, end of World War Two, so just around 1942. Right, but it happened immediately, like the Cold War happened immediately after World War Two because the USSR quickly got it, their hand, like within the first year. So if you're let's, saying it happened... Let's dive deeper and see. Okay. The effect on in each individual was completely different. <laughs> the effect on each individual was completely different, which accounts for all three different stories. Vertigo, nausea, dizziness all the way up to virtual hallucinations. Some men passed out. Other men, their optic nerve was affected, similar to a flashbulb going off near their face. Moore said that he located two people who were on the ship and four people who knew people who were on the ship. There was no crew roster, and the people on the ship were not told about the experiment. When this effect hit them, they were told they were never told what had happened. Some of them ended up being hospitalized. Two of the men jumped overboard and drowned, and then because they were so disoriented, they just they just lost their bearing and just jumped. What the fuck? <sighs> Whatever the fuck's going on on this shit, bro. <clears throat> the families were simply told that they died during the course of an activity. Hmm. They were never told. Yeah, they were never told why and why that is. I don't know. Following publication of Moore's book, a Navy veteran who was part of the experiment contacted him. The man told Moore, I was on the ship. They told me to throw certain switches, and I did. Something hit me like a football tackle, and I was flat on the deck. And suddenly, I was in Norfolk. And the next thing I knew, 
they were carrying me off the ship back in Philadelphia on a stretcher, and I was six months in the hospital. I Well, hold on. How did he just know he was in Norfolk? It was the same spot I was two weeks earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's how I recognized it. <laughs> I don't have the notes in front of me. I don't know how I did that. I was, Keep going. No, I don't know. I, I was just curious. I was like, how did he How did he assess that so quickly? Moore said that the man had experienced an obviously induced flashback. Flash black. Fat. Flashback. <laughs> L's are hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't take L's. Only W's. <laughs> That's how the story got started, said Moore. It was that story that inspired the film, which is strictly fiction. Mm, quotes. The Navy didn't organ uh the Navy didn't originate the experiment, Moore said. Records of the experiment kept by the National Defense Research Committee, headed by Vancouver or Van Ever Bush, sorry, were transferred to the military division in the National Archives in Washington, D.C., according to Moore. He said that there are rows and rows of unidentified files, which he found impossible to go through. Spokesmen, in other words, probably heavily redacted. Spokesmen for the Navy have consistently said that the, an experiment in which a ship would be teleported, air quotes included, could not have been possible except in the realm of science fiction. Vincent Gatiss, 1955, or 1965's book, The Invisible Horizons, which mentions the experiment initially attracted the interest of Moore. Moore is a founder of the Fair Witness Project, a nonprofit group to investigate UFO sightings, psychic phenomenon, and a kind of ghostbusters, if you will. Mm. Moore wrote another book, uh, with Berlitz called The Roswell Incident, which is a very well-known book. We've already talked about it. Uh, about UFOs or flying discs, which allegedly crashed 1947 in New Mexico. Moore said that there were wreckage and official Air Force press release confirming the incident, which was later redacted. Of course. Moore plans to publish a paper on the Philadelphia, Philadelphia experiment, but it is is not planning a follow-up book. An updated edition is available as Fawcett Crest Valentine paper book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a nationwide search for survivors of the Philadelphia experiment is now underway. USS Eldridge crewman DJ Don Myers, uh, Harry Inton, Charles W. Dwyer, and a crew member known only as Walker are being sought even to this day. Mm. So they're still looking for people they're to kind of blow the whistle. Oh, they're they're missing. And so they, it's not they just were on the, they were on the roster, but they never showed back up. Oh, that's the motherfuckers who got fused with the ship. Probably they're in Area Fifty One, like you said. Mm -hmm. They're gone, bro. Anyone with information about the whereabouts of these men is urged to contact Phil Blittle of the West Coast Detectives, North Hollywood, California, at eight one eight nine eight zero seven three nine three. Great. Did you finish my notes about Carl Allen? I've read everything you wrote. Okay. I'm just making sure. I don't remember the conclusion to his tale. So I have some further uh, things here. <sighs> Speaking of Carl M. Allen, in 1994, an article 
for the Journal of Scientific Exploration by Jacques F. Valley theorized that deep-seated Im- imagery is key to planting a hoax. Mm. But before we break down what really happened that day, let's talk about the man behind the myth, Carl M. Allen, who would go on to be a go by the pseudonym Carlos. Dude, I knew it. Yeah, you. That, what did you say his Carlito. name was? Carlito. That's close. It was close. Yeah. Who would go by the pseudonym Carlos Miguel Alind. Miguel. In 1956, Allendine sent a series of letters to Morris K. Jessup, author of the book The Case for the UFO, uh, in which he argued that unidentified flying objects actually merit further study. Jessup apparently included text about the uh, unified field theory because this is what Allendine latched onto for his correspondences. In the 1950s, unified field theory, which has never been proven, attempted to merge Einstein's theory of relativity with electromagnetism. In fact, Allendine claimed that to, he claimed to have been taught by Einstein himself and could prove the unified field theory based on events that he witnessed on October 28th in 1943. Carlos? Mr. Carl was supposedly, like, under Einstein? When did Einstein die? I don't know. Uh, I know he was around for the Manhattan Project in the 40s, so I, he wasn't dead at this point, I don't think. But. Hey, Siri. When did Einstein die? Albert Einstein died April 18th, 1955, at age 76 When was he born? Hey, Siri, when was Albert Einstein born? <laughs> he lived forever. I have no idea how old he was. Okay. I found this on the web for when was Albert Einstein born here live forever i have no idea check it out hey siri when was albert einstein born albert einstein was born march 14th 1879 Ah, that's an old motherfucker old old (laughs) i don't even claim that he saw eldridge disappear wait hold on hold on i didn't get to finish my thought this just i don't this guy just happened to be in Friends all these places and also studied under Einstein. Yeah. Carl's sus. I think Carl's a government plant. I think Carl's a time traveler. Could also could be a time traveler. It sounds like he might have been a plant to kind of to give out misinformation about what actually happened with the Philadelphia experiment. Because clearly well, apparently some, the Philadelphia experiment never even happened. Well, but clearly according some to a project sailors Rainbow, mis- went, disappeared. Well, yeah. Project Rainbow. That's what I'm saying. There's motherfuckers who went missing. We'd have to get the documents on Project Rainbow to actually confirm that. Uh, again, I went through a bunch of this stuff, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of like projects and sub projects that went on during this time period. It's it's all very weird and murky. Most government projects are. I know it's hard doing these. Allendine claimed that he saw the Eldridge disappear from Philadelphia Navy Yard, and he further insisted that the United States military had conducted what he called the Philadelphia Experiment and was trying to cover it up. Jessup was then contacted by the Navy's Office and of Naval Research, who had received a package containing Jessup's book, and with the annotations ex- uh, of extraterrestrial technology being used and allowed the U.S. government to make breakthroughs in the unified field theory. Uh, this was one of the weirdest details. The annotations... Uh, I'm saying that right, right? Yeah. The annotations were designed to look like they were written by three different authors or maybe one extraterrestrial. Mm-mm. 
According to Valet's article of for the Scientific Exploration Journal, Jessup became obsessed with Alan Dean's revelations, and the disturbed researcher would take his own life in 1959. It wasn't until 1980 that proof of Aladdin's forgery would be made available. Inexplicably, two ONR officers had 127 copies of the annotated of the notated text printed and privately distributed by the military contractor Vero Manufacturing, giving wings to Aladdin's story long after Jessup's death. So what really happened aboard the Eldridge that day? According to Edwin Duggan, who served in the U.S. US Navy aboard USS Engstrom, which was dry docked in Philadelphia Navy Yard while Eldridge was as well, both ships did have classified devices on board. They were neither invisibility cloaks nor teleportation devices designed by aliens, but instead... They scrambled the magnetic signatures of ships using a disguising technique, which proved protect or provided protection. <laughs> they scrambled magnetic signatures of ships using disguising techniques, which provided protection from magnetic torpedoes aboard U-boats. Mm. Now, how stuff works. You know that? The TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that show. Suggested that the green glow reported by eyewitnesses that day could be explained by an electro storm or St. Elmo's fire, which in addition to being an American coming of age film starring the Brad pack, Brat pack film starring the Brat pack <laughs> is a weather phenomenon in which plasma is created in a strong electromagnetic field giving off a bright glow, almost like fire. Finally, inland canals connected Norfolk to Philadelphia, allowing a ship to travel between the two with only a few hours. The USS Eldridge would have been transferred to Greece in 1951 and sold for scrap in the 90s, but Alex Dean's hoax would have lived on in our ever-living nightmares. Which one? Which ship? Eldridge. That, went to Greece? to Greece in 1951. No, they and got they, rid of the whole motherfucker. And they sold it for scrap in the 90s. Holy shit. You can't even prove it anymore. Nope. I don't know where I stand on this one, bro. And that's not even all. You got more? A little bit. Now, I know it sounds like a reiteration at the beginning, but I think my I'm what I'm making here is points that are a lot more detailed into the retrospect of this supposed incident. Okay. <clears throat> there are several different, at times, conflicting versions that of this experiment that have circulated through the internet and through word of mouth over the years. The following synopsis serves as an il- illustration key to story points that common... I can't type. This... Notation will serve as conflicting versions. Motherfucker. (laughs) Ow! What the fuck just happened to you? The experiment was conducted by Dr. Franklin Reno, or (laughs) Reinhardt, as a military application of unified field theory. The theory was briefly 
which briefly postulates the inherited nature of forces that compromise electromagnetic radiation and gravity. Through a special application of the theory, it was thought possible with specialized equipment and sufficient energy to bend light around an object. We know this. We know testing began in 1943. We know that the equipment was not properly calibrated and to this end, but in spite of this, the experiment was performed again on October 28th. This time, the Eldridge not only became almost entirely invisible to the naked eye, but actually vanished from the area in a flash of blue light. We know it appeared in Norfolk, according to the story. Is. We know that the surviving crew were discharged, and in some accounts, brainwashing techniques were actually employed in an attempt to make the remaining crew members lose their memories concerning the details of their experience. MK Ultra. In 1955, Morris K. Jessup, the amateur astronomer and former graduate-level researcher, published the book, The Case for the UFO. On January 13, 1955, Jessup received a letter from a man identifying himself as Carl, Carlos Allading, and, which we found out later, was actually one of the sailors on the ship, or uh, nearby the ship. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, okay. Um, after a long time without hearing anything, the reply came months later. However, this time the correspondent identified him as Carl M. Allen. Allen said that he could not provide the details for which Jessup was asking, but implied that he may be able to recall by means of hypnosis, suspecting that Allen or Allendine, whichever his real name was, was a crack, you know, crock of it. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get that feeling also about him. Jessup decided to discontinue the correspondence altogether with him. Mm-hmm. In the spring of 1957, Jessup was contacted by the Na- Office of Naval Research, or the ONR, in Washington, D.C. Suspicious. <laughs> and asked to study the contents of a parcel that they received. Upon arrival, the curious Jessup was astonished to find that it was a paperback copy of his book and that it had been mailed to the ONR in uh, Mil- Milana, in a Manila envelope. <laughs> Don't look at me. These are my notes. In a Manila envelope marked Happy Easter. What? It was mailed to Washington, D.C. It's weird, though. Yeah. Further, the book had been extensively notated and by hand in the margins. With the three mm-hmm. blue. Got it. Now, lengthy annotations were written in three different colors of ink and appeared in detail a correspondence between three different... It appears to be a <clears throat> detailed correspondence between three individuals. Mm-hmm. One of only which men gave his name, Jemmy. The ONR labeled the other two Mr. A and Mr. B. The annotations refer to each other as gypsies. The discussions of two different types of people living in outer space... Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation, detailed lengthy discussions, merits, values, sup- supposed that Jessup makes throughout, or sup- suppositions that Jessup makes throughout his book. This is hard to get through. So, I mean, you're just, you're basically just going back over some of the notes that, you know, we had, we had already gone through earlier, but I like the synapses of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of tying it all together. And I'm, I'm trying to get down here to this bottom part where there's more dates. Um, specifically like this. In 1958, Jessup's wife left him, and friends described him as being depressed and somewhat unstable. When he traveled to New York after returning to Florida, 
He was involved in a serious car accident with suspicious circumstances and was slow to recover. Apparently increasing his despondency, Morris Jessup committed suicide in 1959. Mm. So, you see, there is some details in here. No, that weren't quite. Well, I didn't. I didn't dive. I didn't dive very much into Jessup in my research. But okay, all right. So remind me again why the reason that we care about what happened to Jessup is because he was so tied to telling the story. He was. He was pretty much put in the spotlight because of his book that he wrote. Right. So he was the one trying to tell the the story of what happened of UFOs. Right. It had nothing to do with this technically, but somebody. Carl apparently, yeah, really latched onto this and be like, "This is the only person who could really get my story out there." Now that Jessup is involved, mysterious things have start, happened. Yes, things start going bad for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and uh, we've seen the government do that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in 1965, Vincent Gatiss published *Invisible Horizons: The True Mysteries of the Sea*, mm. talking about this subject, in which the story of the experiment from uh, Vera annotated its recounted. Uh, I'm sorry. In which the story of the experiment from Vero annotated is recounted. Later, in 1977, Charles Berlitz, another author of several books on paranormal phenomena, included a chapter about the Philadelphia experiment. In 1978, another novel was written by Thin Air by George E. Simpson. So now we're starting to see a trend. A lot of people are writing books about this, but it's all coming back to Jessup. Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably using him as like a lot of source material, right? They have to be. In 1984, the story was eventually adapted into a motion picture, The Philadelphia Experiment, directed by Stuart Raffle. Through, uh, though based only loosely in prior accounts of the experiment, it has served to bring the core elements of the story into the mainstream uh, scrutiny. I, I watched the film. Mm-hmm. It is actually... Like, gives you a really good head space around it. Now, of course, it is kind of trumped up for a little bit for Hollywood, but sure. it definitely gets gets you uh, kind of going, especially when you think about that this could actually have been real. Yeah, and I think, like you said in, in your notes there, that was the whole purpose of making the film, was to get, uh, you know, more mainstream More audience. eyes on it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. In 2003, uh, Belix's version of his... Uh, participation in the Philadelphia experiment was debunked by a small team of investigators and general consensus is now that there, that he was nowhere near the ship and the proposed time of the experiment. Mm. Another individual claiming to be there. Got it. Uh, many observers argue that, uh, in argue it inappropriate to put so much credence in an unusual story put forward by one individual in the absence of more conclusive collaborating evidence. So here's some scientific aspects. Albert Einstein never fully developed his unified field theory, and there is no constant UFT or gravity electromagnetism link that has since come forth from the scientific community. Though Nikola Tesla claimed to, to have completed a unified field theory, shortly thereafter his death in 1943. His theories on electromagnetism's power to distort space and time were never published. Also, conspiracy theorists propose that much of Tesla's research papers were seized by the FBI promptly following his death. Yeah, it was getting real weird later in life. 
you know, you're having all your work stolen from you. Yeah. You kind of lose it. Edison's a bitch. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and highlight the apparent coincidence between the year of his death and the supposed date of the experiment. He was alive during that time, apparently. A Tesla? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know exactly when he was when he died, but I mean There's a lot more correlation within that like twenty years, thirty years than there is in any other point in time in history. But I think what's what's important is that it it is hard to get a hold of like believing this one. And the reason is is because really the majority of the information only comes from one source. And that's the problem with the story. Yeah, which was proven by uh, research students at Duke University as even recent as 2006. The scientific community was far from obtaining the level of technology required to render invisible, uh, re- required to render an object invisible, such as a naval destroyer. Yep. Yeah, that's the other thing is that what you were, what you were just saying is that they that the unified uh, field theory field theory. It's not even close to being, you know, a, a completed piece of work and supposedly, you know, they had it figured out completely. Well, know? not completely because apparently things went awry, but it does make a but fantastic a, tale. It does, yes. But I there's agree. also timeline inconsistency, such as the USS Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27th of 1943. We did talk about that, though. And remained in port in New York City until September 43. Mm. The October experiment allegedly took place while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas. None of that makes sense with no, that's the original all over the story. Place. Yeah. It's all over the place. A reunion of veterans who served aboard the Eldridge told the Philadelphia Inquirer that in nine, April 1999 that the ship had never made port in Philadelphia. Further evidence against the Philadelphia experiment timeline comes from the USS Eldridge's complete World War II action port report. Uh, including the remarks uh, of the section of 1943's deck log available on microfilm. Mm. Um, the last thing I have here was alternative uh, explanations. I was going to say, I think we got some, some theories typed up as well. Yeah. Present day scientists propose that generations or uh, generators rigged to the ship may not have been designed to warp space time. Instead, they may have been uh, deployed to heat up the air and water around the ship, creating an artificial mirage, thereby rendering the ship invisible to the human high and mm. giving it enough time to get away. This would, leave a visib- this would leave visible the ship's wake in addition to the greenish-colored fog described in some accounts. Yeah, but the, the water was left still by some accounts. True. So alternatively, researcher... Uh, Jackie Lee Vaquez, valet, uh, describes a procedure on board the USS Enstrom, which was like a sister experimental ship. Yeah, the other one that they were talking about. Uh, Which was docked alongside the Eldridge in 1943. The operation involved the generation of a powerful electromagnetic shield on board the ship in order to uh, disguise it, as it were, with the goal of rendering the ship undetectable. Via radar? Via radar. Okay. Radar only. Got it, got it. So this system was invented by a Canadian. The British used it widely during the Second World War. British ships of the era often included such systems built in on the upper decks. The conduits are still visible on the deck of the HMS Belfast in London. 
So this is a technology that isn't for as forward thinking as the story would make you believe. It's something that was being used widely throughout World War Two. Well, if it was if it was to disrupt radar, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Tons of people had radar, like I said. Yep. Um, it just basically disguise. It may not completely disguise the ship, but it just kind of garbles the sub subsequent uh, frequencies and uh, retellings that these accounts have may have influenced the story for, from the get go. Yeah. Um, a veteran who served aboard the Enstrom noted that Eldridge could have indeed have traveled from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back again in a single day at a time when merchant ships could not have been or could not have by use of a Chesapeake and Delaware canal. So this ship was small enough to travel through a canal as to which the other ships could not like, you know, uh, yeah, merchant that, marine ship wouldn't be able to cause it's too big. That would have been you know, a few hours, not a few minutes. And so the supposed story is that it just, you know, disappeared in one place and popped up in another in, in mere minutes. Unless they're getting the two ships confused. And they're, this is my theory. They're calling the one ship, you know, the Eldridge, the other one, the, what was the other one name? The Enstrom. Yep. Yeah. So there maybe they were calling the Enstrom over next, over in uh, Norfolk. They're calling that. It could have been the Philadelphia ship. Absolutely could have been. So the ships probably are very similar. They were sister ships. They're parked next to each other Yeah. at some point. I mean, it's easy to relate that somebody could see the fog and just assume the ship disappeared. I mean, as as far as I'm concerned, it just sounds like they were trying to develop radar uh, jamming technology, which was already in development during the time period anyway. And they subsequently, they subsequently actually made uh, fog. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that didn't even happen. It sounds like Carl's just full of shit, to mm. be honest with you. So there's also a point here that um, German submarines had recently been ravaging East Coast shipping during Operation Drumbeat, and thus military ships were unable to protect themselves and were secretly moved via canals to avoid this threat. It should be noted that at this time, veterans... A veteran claims to have been the man whom Allardyce witnessed disappear at a bar. Remember that guy I told you about, the one that who so in the movie who walked through town and disappeared, and dematerialized in front of the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that part of that story. Okay. That doesn't get notated a lot in the story, like, but it's it's a small part that if you do it enough dives from Adelaide and Coral, or same person really. Yeah. Uh, that it shows up in his notes. It's on the notations. Yeah, I just don't... I think he's full of shit, to be honest with you. So, apparently, this is a... This is something from a man who actually was there. Not Adelaide, nothing else. This is mm-hmm. from the man who actually supposedly saw somebody disappear at a bar. Uh, he claims that when he uh, when the fight broke out, friends, uh, friendly barmaids whisked him out the back door of the bar before police arrived because he was underage. And then covered... For him by claiming that he disappeared. That's what probably really happened. Yeah. In a more speculative and strongly paranormal vein, um, Al Bulik and Duncan Cameron both claim to have leapt from the deck of the Eldridge while it was in hyperspace. <laughs> oh, you almost sounded like you were going into hyperspace right there with that <laughs> laugh. You know when you know when the when uh the Millennium Falcons going into the hyperspace. No, the Falcon, yeah. <laughs> hyperspace. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Insert sound here. 
surely not copywritten. Uh, I'm sure it's not. Uh, between the Philadelphia and Norfolk. So apparently they leapt off the ship while it was in hyperspace. Uh, between Philadelphia and Norfolk and ended up after a period of uh, severe disorientation at Air Force Station Montuck Long Point. Yeah. Or Montuck Point in Long Island. And that's, that's in 1983. Where... A totally different. They just traveled through time in general. Well, and not only that, but that's that's there's a lot of connections there. But again, a lot of this story, it's all loosely connected and it sounds really mysterious. But when you really break it down, it's one guy connecting very loose threads. Me. <laughs> yeah, but I think you would have come up with a little bit more concrete evidence. This guy is if you remove any information from Carl, it's like everything else starts to fall apart. Where is all the people who supposedly jumped off this ship? Why don't we have accounts from them? Well, that's that's this point I was actually in the middle of the Montuck Point, Long Island, and eight, uh, that these okay, so these two guys, right, Al Bleak and Duncan Cameron, and we will probably go into this into another episode if y'all want to hear more about it. But Al Bleak and Duncan Cameron both claim to have leapt from the deck of the Eldridge while it was in transit of hyperspace between Philadelphia and Norfolk, and ended up, after a period of several uh, severe disorientation, at the Air Force Station of Montuck Point, Long Island, in 1983, having experienced not only teleportation, but time travel. Massive amounts of time travel. They claim that John Von Neumann met them there, brackets, although officially he died in 1957, bracket, close. So he would have. Now this is what? this story <laughs> is part of a continuum involving. In, <laughs> this story is part of a continuum involving another alleged secret U.S. government experiment into the paranormal, known as the Montuk Project. That's that's the one, and that's when I was doing the research for the first part of this episode, and I hit that part. That's when I think I called you, and I was like, "This thing goes really, really deep." So now there's two official government-documented projects by two different names that are related to each other, which, to me, is why I think this actually has credence. Yes, there's probably some holes. There's probably some messed-up eyewitness statements in here, but this has to be based in some reality because not one crazy person reading a book from another crazy person could possibly have created this entire thing. There is actual documentation of two projects. This is people is why we do what we do. This is exactly the point I'm trying to make (laughs) here. He's getting crazy. Look out! I'm saying it makes sense. So there's gotta be there's there's truth in all fabrication. All science fiction is based in truth and reality. So there's gotta be some truth to it. Star Wars actually happened a long, long time ago, (laughs) far, far away. Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. So I guess uh, you got any theories? Well, talking points of like that would be like teleportation, cross-dimensional risks, and aliens. We don't know if aliens were involved necessarily, but I think they could be because there's a lot of referencing to that um, the UFO Jessup's guy. book. Jessup's yeah. book. So why why would we be notating everything with Jessup's well, books and alien technology if aliens weren't involved? And Carl saw that and put all the links well, that's together. What, and that's what I was going to say is possibly if, if teleportation and or time travel was a thing, maybe Carl was trying to get a hold of Jessup because Jessup, you know, maybe the aliens gave them the technology is what I'm trying to get at. Maybe. 
I don't know, but if so you guys... So the government was lying when they blatantly told many people, including people on the project... The that... government lying? I know. Isn't it shocking? How dare you? <laughs> so I guess if, if if they want to hear us do more, we can do part two Manitok? Man, man, what is it? Montauk Project? Montauk Project. Yeah. We dive deeper if they want to hear it. Season four. Season four, baby. Episode four, complete. We may now resume all regular scheduled programming. Jesus Christ. This tape will self-destruct in five. Your four, phone is not going three, to blow up. Two. Okay, Mike. This has been another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite out of the Philadelphia Experiment. As always, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf Takes a Bite Pod. Leave us a rating and comment on the show. That really helps us bring you the content we want to make you. And, of course, this episode is brought to you by Green Man Media. You can find us at GreenManMediaCode.com. You can also find me specifically, GreenManMediaCode.com slash wolf. And while you're there, check out the store and send us pictures of the latest Green Man swag that you decide to wear. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes open for more Wolf Takes of My content. Subscribe to the YouTube channel for even more of your favorite shows. I love you guys, and remember, question everything, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye!